Large intake of breath, everyone. We're going to get through this together. That was quite the day at Carroll Road. Toxicity aplenty. A heavy defeat. Certainly no talk of playoffs. Dead and buried. Norwich City are done. Their season has crashed and burnt uh, out. It's less of a fizzle. I mean, if you're going to go out, go out with the tyres exploding and setting the place on fire. Dear me. This is the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm your host, Connor Southwell, and we're joined by Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman to pick at the carcass of the 3-0 defeat to Swansea. Um, gents, uh, Pad, I mean, where, where do you even start with that? It was just a dismal woeful day and I actually think a lot of Norwich fans will have come away from that game feeling incredibly embarrassed about their football club uh, and the way they performed but but also the direction of travel at this moment in time yeah absolutely um, and we'll get into it in more depth but there was empty seats from people who left and were not returning at the start of the second half there was another tranche when I think Swansea scored their third goal and, and by the end um, even more and um you know, there's a guy who we know very well, I won't, I won't name him, but a long-standing season to Golder sits in front of us in the city stand. I looked at the clock, it was about 80 minutes to go, and he turned to us and said he was off and he'd read the match report on Monday, and I told him probably best not to bother because uh, this is not a game you want to relive, really. Uh, I haven't checked, but it, I think the Newcastle game last season in the Premier League, towards the end of what was an inevitable relegation, that, if I'm not mistaken, that was April as well, it was certainly towards the back end of the season and that's the only thing I can compare this with in terms of, you know, for anybody who's erased that from the memory, that was a 3-0 defeat. Um, Newcastle were, you know, in second, third gear that day, dismissed Norwich and then there was the those protests after the game directed at Stuart Webber, small group, I think he subsequently called them sort of five or ten fans with a bed sheet but, and, and that viral video of Stuart Webber in the doorway of the, the director's entrance with Zoe Webber, wife and executive director, pulling him back inside when he'd gone to you know, reason with them, confront them, d- delete as applicable. But it, this feels like there again. And um, you know that resulted in, in no material change in terms of the, the, the people at the top of the tree. Um, but whether that's the case, remains the case moving forward, you know, time will tell from here. But uh, it certainly felt we were back there again in terms of this kind of chasm between... And you can debate, you know, depending where you are on the spectrum, that it was a few fans or it was, uh, you know, one or two disaffected pockets within the ground or whether it was more than that. Um, it was more than that. It was more than that. It felt more than that. So, you know, but that's by the by, where you want to set the measure of how many Norwich fans are, are done and dusted with it and have had enough. What isn't in dispute, even if you're inside that football club, is huge swathes of your fan base, whether they're protesting with their voices or whether they're staying away, they're not happy. They're not happy at the direction of their club. Um, and it's it's dangerous territory now because when the anger subsides, then it becomes disenchantment, then it becomes disinterest and then not caring. And and that is not a situation that you, you really want to be in if you're shaping the direction of this football club. And let's broaden it out. It isn't about this season now, that's gone, but it's about the summer, next season and then seasons to come. And we know there's this potential shift in the the power base in terms of uh, Mark Atanasio and his group and, and taking more shares on board and having a more active say in terms of potentially the ownership tilting a little bit but that's all for the future still you know in the here and now it's those who have got their hands on the tiller of this club 
in the eyes of many Norwich fans, have had enough and they want change. And uh, it's going to be really intriguing what happens from here. We'll get into it in more depth, but but we put those points to David Wagner and, and he was very robust in his defence of Stuart Webber after the game. Um, but it feels it feels like another maybe watershed afternoon, I think, in terms of uh, Stuart Webber and, and his his relationship with Norwich's fan base and the club more broadly. And, uh, you know, what we saw unfold today is, well, you know, it's not it's not good enough for a club with Norwich's recent past in terms of where they've competed, the levels they've competed at, the success they've had. And we all have to make it quite clear that's shaped by Stuart Webber in his period of time. But that's gone. That's in the past. It's about the here and now and it's about the future. And... Um, they're a long way from from hitting those sort of metrics that they hit under Stuart Webber before. So the question is, where do we go from here? You know, and is Stuart Webber still the person who takes this forward? And uh, and if he is, how he repairs what seems to be a huge fracture now with, as I say, for me it feels like sections, large sections of that fan base. Because if if you drill down to what the core of Webber's success originally was with Daniel Farker alongside him in that fertile period. It was that the club was together, on and pitch, off the pitch, in the stands, in the playing squad, in the in the back offices of that football club. Everybody was rowing in behind this bold, bright new vision. Norwich were ahead of the curve. They were doing things differently. It was fresh. It was energetic. It was exciting. What we got now? It's it's gone from intoxicating to toxic, and and um, you know it's hard to see a way forward with with the status quo as it stands. But you know. They may have a different view once the dust settles, but um, it's indisputable now. You look, you look at it, and the results this season tell you that things are badly wrong, and, and there's a rottenness inside that football club, and it it needs to be addressed. It needs to be acknowledged firstly publicly, then it needs to be addressed, and then hopefully everybody can move forward, and you start to bring people back together because there's no way that's happening in terms of the current dynamic. Yep, bang on, and we will, of course, um, speak more about those chants and where Norwich City are at off the pitch, but we have to address where they are on the pitch, Sam, which is one win in nine. They've not scored a goal in four home games, four home games without a goal. It's it's incredible. I mean, uh, you, me and Paddy were, were looking at the form table on the way to QPI, and it was just, was it just Wigan, uh, Reading and Blackpool below them in, in yeah, that form 21st, table? Yeah, 21st, I think. Yeah, 21st yeah, in, in that, in that form table, over basically since Millwall. I mean, it's... We said it last time we, we did one of these. The the drop-off since that day and that game, beyond the Blackburn game, just incredible. But what we saw today from, from level of performance, because a lot of this podcast is going to be about Stuart Weber, is going to be about the direction of travel. So let's speak about what happened on the pitch today, because I, I, I would say it was, I've used the same word, embarrassing, particularly that second half when you've got 10... People in yellow and green shirts, submissive, behind the ball, not engaging, no energy, no tempo. They concede a goal. They stand there, kind of flail their arms about um, and kind of looking to blame each other. It was a really, really horrendous day on the pitch for Norwich City as well. Yeah, and I thought Swansea actually highlighted everything that was wrong with them, really. It was the style of play... Norwich fans had been used to at one point actually and the way that they moved the ball around to me was immaculate and was actually fantastic and it was very, very good football that Russell Martin's got them playing and you would watch, you know, two or three good minutes of Swansea knowing where the next pass was going to be and how they were going to find that that free man and then they would see possession and in 10 seconds 
one of Norwich's centre-backs had found a way to chip the ball forward to no real target. And it just felt to me like a, a situation that highlighted exactly what's gone wrong for Norwich all season and, and the difference between what Norwich fans expected three, four years ago and what they expect now because Russell Martin's team was probably playing the sort of style Norwich fans were proud to associate themselves with back in those early days of Stuart Webber's tenure and those those times under um, Daniel Farker. And yeah, to watch a team that firstly didn't know what it was and secondly was performing really poorly. You know, you can move tactics to the side a little bit and obviously at this level it's it's a really important thing but you can separate that and actual quality because maybe you are having to play long balls because you're not quite sure what you're doing but these are players who are supposed to be supremely talented they're very well paid they're in a very privileged position to be better at that and when you can't even really find one of your players with one of your um, maybe misguided balls forward I think that's that's a problem so yeah, on the pitch, for me, it was almost a twofold thing. There have been a number of occasions where we've been um, we've been looking at games as Norwich failing to beat teams that they should be beating. But I thought perhaps what made it even sadder for Norwich today was that they were playing a team who just outclassed them and looked so much like the better team. It actually was quite reminiscent of last season in terms of how much control those players had and how much better they looked. And this is a team that ends the day after beating Norwich 3-0, ends the day below them in the championship table. And I think that tells you everything you need to know about quite how badly this game has gone compared to how maybe it could have gone when you um, you look at the quality of the teams. So, yeah, not a great day for Norwich fans at all, perhaps even the worst in a very long time. And um, I did feel on the pitch it highlighted quite how big the gap is. But in the long term, I think that might be a good thing because, yes, we've already heard signs of Stuart Webber talking about... a. Uh, a rebuild of sorts. He hasn't used that word, but you know, Hernandez's um, contract announcement. He did say that there would be a lot of changes this summer, so he's clearly aware that was something that needed to happen. But perhaps if he was in any doubt as to quite the extent to which that needed to be done, he certainly won't be after today. Today, because this is a team who, at the start of the season, they thought they could be finishing quite a lot higher in the league than, and they've been absolutely outclassed. So, yeah, all the problems on the pitch exposed today for me. Yes, yes. Norwich City's last three results. 5-1 defeat away at Middlesbrough last Friday. A 1-1 draw with a QPR side who couldn't buy a win for love nor money before they, they, they played Norwich City, although they have beaten Burnley today. Although I think Burnley are still uh, hanging off the, the promotion bus, aren't they, in, in celebration a, a little bit as Norwich City were two, two years ago. So I think you, you can get freak results when, when that kind of happens. But it was one win in 19 and, and, and yet they managed to, uh, to, to get a point off Norwich. And then today, Swansea who, who did come into this game on, off the back of five wins from six but to lose 3-0 to capitulate in the way that they did not just in terms of the goals but Sam McCallum getting a, a red card um, yeah just woeful woeful and, and we all come back to, to David Wagner because I think there has been some conversation about how much of the blame he should take so we will have that conversation later on I don't want just to park the on-pitch stuff here but uh, I, we could meticulously di- dissect it but I think the, we would come, keep coming back to the line that just not good enough in, in in any areas and it was one team with a plan playing one team that didn't have a plan um, and maybe it was one football club that has a plan and 
one football club that, that doesn't have a plan. I, I tweeted this at the full time whistle, Paddy, but if Norwich City extract maximum points from their, their last two games, which you would say, given one of them is against West Brom, looks looks highly unlikely. And to be frank, the way the way they're playing at the moment looks pretty unlikely anyway, irrespective of opponent. They they would get a maximum of sixty eight points. In 2017, when they decided to hit the reset button, when they decided to completely restructure the club, Stuart Webber was hired. There was obviously a lot of criticism from from him about what had gone on before. Um, they finished eighth. They got 70 points. This group of players are going to finish with at least two points fewer, potentially probably even more. The fans, as you said in, in your opening gambit there, have made their feelings heard. What happens from here now? What can happen? Because if that was deemed to be a failure worth completely remodelling and restructuring the shape of the club, what, back in 2017, I don't know how many years ago that was, five, six years ago, where does it leave the football club tonight knowing that they're going to be worse off than, than that total? Well, I mean, this will this will be the, the dissection of, if you want to pa- package it, Weber, Weber's era. It, it, are they now further back from the point that he inherited or if you put those other chips on the table i.e. the, the transformational work at Colney and the infrastructure that's gone on there and, and, and you know stack all these other positive elements of what he's done and, and they're not in dispute then then there'll be there'll be others who say well no you can't draw that parallel but if, you, if you're purely talking in, in terms of on the pitch and the group of players that are out there representing Norwich City then a very very straight, clear parallel between two championship seasons, and that they they're inferior this time around. Then it's not a good look, is it? And and ultimately, you're asking what happens from here now. What needs to happen if it's going to be Stuart Webber driving this forward? And we recorded a podcast last weekend when we got back from from Middlesbrough, and certainly, me and you, Connor, were of the opinion that if he still had the drive, the energy, the hunger to want to do this. I don't think I don't think there's a better option out there for me um, because he's proven he can do it. He can do it before, and the point that you're talking about was where he came in and and what he built from that point onwards was nothing short of uh, miraculous, given given the the financial problems that he inherited and the the squad that were tired and jaded and well past their sell by and, and players in the stand earning big money not playing. There's a lot every of parallels week. now. There is, and, and th- 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 those phrases are thrown out there. Uh, uh, recollections of how Stuart Webber looked at that group of players that he inherited, and, and there'll be he, those. He went, he went harder than that as well. He, he spoke about I won't use the exact term he used, but he spoke about throwing money up the wall essentially on, on yeah. players. I think the same charges will well, be levelled at him yeah. from a lot of Norwich City fans. Uh, and my point is now that to answer those charges. And if you are the person who still wants to be here and still wants to put this right and and stand square alongside David Wagner in getting this club back to the Premier League and keeping them there, which is what he stated when he unveiled David officially back in January, then we need to hear from him. We need to hear from him and he needs to be externally scrutinised as well. Not a club-controlled interview, to put, to put it that way, as they did at the end of last season. Um, where they choose the questions, presumably, and they edit what goes in and what doesn't go in. Um that isn't going to cut it, I don't think. And that's not saying that it's us who need to have that sit down. I'm just talking about he he needs to front up um, and he needs to answer some tough questions. And then the answers, I guess, will dictate and the mood that he exhibits and, and how he delivers that will, will, I think, frame a lot of what next, really. You know, if, if he is up for it, then let's hear it. Let's hear 
what on earth he's going to do that's going to be different to what we're experiencing at the minute and, and breaking this cycle, how he can do that in terms of the financial constraints he's under. All of these questions which he would be put to and then come back and answer, you know, if it's an internal club-controlled uh, interview, who knows? So, but I think what's beyond doubt is given how poorly that was received at the end of last season, if they were to repeat that, then that's one for the club to decide, isn't it, ultimately? But I think they... I think that they'd probably be on a loser and that's only been amplified by what's happened here today at Car Road that uh, there's a fan base demanding answers and he is the figurehead for this football club. He's not the owner, clearly, um, but he is the footballing figurehead. He runs it day to day in tandem with the executive committee and uh, and they've failed. They've failed beyond doubt. However you want to cut it, this season is an abject failure um, and they've been driving this. Um, so, you know, for me, what next is is that it's some accountability, some public accountability, some external public scrutiny, um, and then people can make their own decisions. Then you know if it's I'm I'm here, I'm in it for the long haul. I've got it wrong, uh, and I'm going to do everything I can in my power to put it right with all the people around him, of course, as well. Because it's not simply about Stuart Webber. This for me, this is the club as a whole. You know. Every facet of the the operations there, people who are working in whatever departments, they need to look at themselves and look at what they've done this season and have they hit their individual metrics. Because if you stitch it all together, as I say, on the pitch, which is where it matters most, it's a failure. And um, you know, without that, without that, really for me, that public accountability, then I, I find it very difficult to think that they can bring enough fans with them uh, to row in behind and say. Okay, let's go again, and you're the person to drive this forward. Because if they don't get any sense that there's an acceptance of the failure and the failings and a culpability and an ownership, then of 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 the failings, then how can you have any real trust in the process and, and the individuals driving it forward? So, for me, you know, uh, there'll be people inside the football club won't want to hear any of that, I'm sure. But but I, I think respectfully and politely, if they were to just sit down with any group of Norwich fans, any demographic, um, they would pretty much get the same messaging. And and if they choose to ignore that, then that's on them. Yeah, well, I think I think what the fans felt were was documented loud and clear today. And it's um, about time they, they stopped being spoken to and started being spoken with, I think, a little bit more, given, uh, given what we've seen. And actually, of, of all the stuff that you mentioned there, I would throw in a bit of humility as well, actually, um, given what we've seen in, in, in the past 12 months or so. Um, Sam, I... I, I wasn't at the 7-1 Colchester game. I, I started as a season ticket holder in the second half of that League One campaign. Um, and, you know, you could create an argument, I guess, and, and take a bigger picture view that actually today was a game that exposed all of Norwich City's flaws, pro- possibly as a football club, but certainly on the pitch and the shortcomings in those areas. And I'm sure, as Paddy referenced, I'm sure it has opened a few eyes. And if it hasn't, then goodness knows what will. Um, just just for you, being in Carroll Road... That level of toxicity, it was slightly different, obviously, against Blackburn earlier on in the season because that was directed very much at one man and that was Dean Smith, who, ironically, could keep Leicester up in the Premier League this season, which is just utterly baffling, really, considering where we where we were um, in, in, in December. But is that as toxic, as um, angry as, as you felt, Carroll Road, in, in, in your time, both supporting and, uh, and now covering the club? Yeah, I think so. Um, as you say, there was that Blackburn one, but there was probably more of a sense of purpose and of 
the fans having something to direct that at. I mean, you sort of touched on it, but there was at least an outlet to say, this is what we want and um, demand that of somebody who could actually make that decision. And, um, you know, for for various different reasons and whatever they are, it feels quite a, loss, a lot less likely that Norwich fans demand Stuart Webber goes as they did today. And there's really anybody who they can demand that to and, and that's actually going to happen. So today I felt there was a different type of toxicity, perhaps a more a more organic one um, about just actually them being quite fed up and feeling fed up at Carrow Road and that being reflected in their chants and their mood and what they were saying and actually also the number of people leaving really, really early. A lot of them left sort of 35 minutes um, into the game and, and around that second goal and the red card. Um, so for me, it was different to probably that Blackburn one, which probably was as toxic as I've I've seen it. You know, I wasn't really, to be honest, going regularly to games in sort of David McNally, Chris Hewton time when I imagine it probably also was quite tense and quite difficult to be at Carrow Road. But... Um, for me, it's probably the most frustrated these fans have ever felt because I think all football fans have the ability to demand that a manager goes. And we've all been in positions um, at you know various football clubs that we've supported where you've wanted a manager to go and, and unfortunately that does happen. But with this quite weird situation where quite a lot of people want Stuart Webber to go, quite a lot of people I heard today were suggesting that Delia Smith should be selling her stake in the football club. That's not really a thing that football fans can demand so much and it's the reason why clubs like Manchester United have fans who are so unhappy because really you can't actually force an owner to sell, you can't really force that over the line um, like like fans do with on on a footballing level, but but I guess I guess the point to make about that is Manchester United fans who you've referenced there have been speaking about their ownership for probably about twenty well certainly since they they took over close mm. to to twenty years mm. and I guess that pressure has built to a point where it's happened similarly like you say with, with with managers where it's slightly easier but it does feel when the fans turn in that way and the pressure is cranked up even not if immediately yeah they do eventually kind of get their wish and we saw that again with with Dean Smith earlier on in the season. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it still comes down to what Stuart Webber realistically wants to do because um, I think he probably knew around the time of, of Dean Smith's sacking and he sort of admitted it in an interview after that he would have liked to hang on to Dean Smith for a bit longer. But I think he realised if he was the sporting director of this football club and he was responsible for the fans being happy with what things looked like on the pitch, that was something he had to do, whether he liked it or not. Now... He's in a position where he's controlling his own destiny, really. Um, and there's not somebody to take over, I don't think, personally, and say, OK, now's enough time. And there's nobody, I think, that's going to jump in and say, if I'm going to do my job properly, Stuart Webber has to go. Um, and I'm not calling for him to go necessarily. I'm just saying this is why it's quite a lot more complex and quite a lot more frustrating, I think, for the fans that I speak to. And there are a few things with the club at the moment as well. It's not just Stuart Webber, it's also the finances. How many times this season have we said they need a massive rebuild in the summer, but actually, how are you going to do that? Because there's not enough money. Um, I think there are a lot of aspects around the football club now that it almost feels like Norwich are trapped in until they manage to get some sort of lucky promotion. And that's probably a situation a lot of the also-rans in the Championship 
find themselves in. So there's probably a lot of worry in that in that um, in that fan base that things aren't going to get out of this rut anytime soon. And I felt today was a real opportunity to see them voting with their feet. I, for example, know a number of people who have said to me, I wasn't there today, I gave up my season ticket, or I've seen people tweeting, you know, I don't want to go, anybody want to take my ticket, etc. And I think it was a real example of the fact that actually people aren't that bothered about coming to Carrow Road anymore. It's not where before it was the highlight of people's weeks. Now they're in a position where it, in some ways it makes their Saturday worse and it's not it's not even worth the inconvenience to head down to Carrow Road and, and watch a game of football even after they've already paid for it. Um, and that's such a different position to where they found themselves in recent times because as much as the fan base have been criticised even by the likes of, of Stuart Weber in, mm-hmm. in recent times, this is a fan base that consistently has turned up week in, week out and it sh- probably shows you where they are now, the fact that they were turning up in League One and probably haven't been turning up as much in a championship season where they're in the top half um, and that tells you what direction they think the football club's going in. So I totally understand the frustration and I can see that it's actually a really, really difficult position to be in. So I totally understand the toxicity today, but yeah, it really wasn't a a fun place to be in Carrow Road, I don't think. And the only real thing you wanted to be there, almost out of morbid curiosity, was to find out how much worse it was going to get. And, you know, that really is the worst position for a, a football club to be in. So as Paddy spoke about with, with coming out and having some accountability, you do need to bring those fans along with you. They did that so well at the start of Weber's reign. And if it's going to have a, a second revival and it's going to he, he's going to come back into his own, those fans do really need to be brought back um, into the fold. And I don't think I can stress enough how important that is. Yeah, and, and I think the word both of you have used already is, is accountability. And that's, that's, I feel, going to be the big word coming out of tonight um, as well because if you if you distill it down and, and, and you look at Daniel Farker well he was held accountable for, for what was a pretty poor start to the Premier League campaign he lost his job Dean Smith well he was held accountable for the first half of, uh, of this championship campaign I think there will be a lot of people Paddy who, who look at Stuart Webber tonight um, and it, look the chance weren't just about Stuart Webber there were wider chance about sat the board as well and we, we all come back onto them but obviously you have to focus on, on Stuart Webber. But who's going to sack the board? Well, well, he's going to sack Stuart Webber, but we'll come back go. onto that in a minute. But th- that, this, is, this is the point, isn't it? You, you've had two head coaches who have been held accountable. So I guess, the, the char- again, I'll use the word charge, the charge that's going to be put at Stuart Webber is how can you constantly blame the person or the people below you yeah. for what is clearly a cultural issue now? I think we, could, we can say at this club this season... If the buck stops with a sporting director, that is where the blame is is going to be pushed, and and where the the fingers are going to be pointed at. Absolutely, yeah, and and he will know that better than any, and and he owned, if you remember, because uh, I, I remember going down to Colney at the end of the the Premier League season, the first time round, yeah. which was a very uncompetitive attempt, but we all know the factors for that and the financial factors that were in play, and and in terms of the the ability or the or the capacity they had to improve that squad that first time round it was negligible uh, and that was shown to be the case but he owned it he, because the the focus I recall was was kind of directed towards Daniel and Daniel Farker's failings for, for not overseeing a more competitive attempt at Premier League survival and he said um, you know to, to that effect he said the book stopped with him don't blame Daniel um, we didn't equip him with, with the resources to have a, a real attempt but 
you know, second time around, we all know that, and it's at the root of probably a lot of the, the concerns around the finances now, that they did have a go relative to Norwich. They had a real go. Um, you've seen subsequently various football finance experts in, in the football field um, map out quite clearly in terms of the wages they were paying, in terms of the money they spent far far better than 20th again in the in the Premier League with, with was it less points second time around no one more one more point, yeah. so you know but this is it isn't it this what, is the what problem you, what you talk about and, and that and that was on his watch and and he oversaw that so you know it goes back to what I said previously that, that in contrast to the end of the first Premier League season when he was a open to external scrutiny and b was was willing to admit he got things wrong and that that, that it wasn't a failing of Daniel Farquhar or the players necessarily, but as a club, they got things wrong and he's the person at the apex of that in terms of the day-to-day control of the club. So, of course, he has to take ultimate responsibility. Um, and I think that that approach underpinned what happened thereafter, you know, the championship return and then another tilt in the Premier League because I, I, even though it was a disappointment that first time around in the Premier League, I, I think for a fan to hear we got things wrong, but we've learned we'll put things right and we'll be better next time around. That clearly wasn't the case second time around. And at the end of the second Premier League season, there was no public accountability. There was no um, you know, external scrutiny. And, and, and that's where probably a lot of what's erupted today festers, is that if, if he's not held accountable and he's not uh, accessible to be scrutinised, then how do you have any real faith that... that or or even getting insight into what he's thinking and, and how he views it and, and where it's gone wrong and how he's going to put it right. If you don't get answers to those questions, um, then if you're if you're a fan going there today, if you've if you've renewed your season ticket again, then you have to be genuinely concerned because you're not hearing what you need to hear to feel that okay, yeah, it's failed again, and we know why it's failed, and we have faith that these people can put it right again. And that until or if that happens, then that they're really storing up a lot of this and this will rupture again if you know we don't get that and and it returns to to the start of next season and things start poorly again next season we'll be back here again no doubt about it so you know there's some very astute individuals uh, in, in key roles in that football club they they should be reading the room is my advice and um and, and acting accordingly in these weeks ahead because how they act now will frame probably what happens in the next few seasons, not just this summer and, and beyond. It could really set this course for for what where we go with obviously the overhanging situation in terms of allotment of shares and, and maybe a shift in, in terms of the shareholder mix and what that means moving forward in terms of ownership. That's obviously clearly in the background and I think we'll get some clarity on that before now and the end of the season. That might actually be a good starting point to then move it forward, um, because it will feel as if there there is a dial turning and that you know there is some tangible reaction or or a, a, a different approach maybe starting to happen at boardroom level. But that also needs to be replicated in terms of Stuart Weber and, and the people around him on that executive committee. Um, you know, it isn't enough for us to to end this season um, and we don't get those touch points and we don't get that accountability and think that everything is going to be okay and that they'll have a they'll have a, a refresh over the summer and they make a few changes to the squad and and on we go again because i'm afraid if this season teaches them anything it's they need to learn the lessons of what they didn't do last summer at the end of uh, that premier league relegation
Yeah, and at least they need to learn. Look, they they pay PR companies for advice on this, which you know, maybe is 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 slightly ironic. But given you know, let's talk about them as decisions because it's a decision not to communicate, and it's a decision the strategy that that they've taken. Well, they would say yeah. they communicate, Connor. It's just where they the channels for, they choose for, for to a communicate. program column. Come on. But- well, well, I'm I'm not for one minute defending a program column. I'm just saying that they're the chance. If you're a fan, is that well, you, is, is that well, a way that that you would feel like you're being communicated with? Where let's well, be honest, the circulation on those are are not great. Well, it's a very all I'll say is uh, diplomatically, it's a very uh, one way. Um, well, that's that's what I meant in terms of, of communication. They're speaking to fans, they're yeah, not speaking absolutely, with fans. Absolutely, and, and, and the reason that's relevant is because that wasn't the case when. When things were good, yeah. and 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 this is this is what I mean in terms of the strategy, the road that they've decided to head down. They've become very insular, really. That's ultimately what it boils down to. They've become very but insular in their approach. It. Well, clearly, it's not working. No, which is why somebody needs to stick their head above the parapet and and realise that and and read the situation. I, I I can't quite fathom that they continue to go down this path that that clearly isn't working. And you know, if they don't change tack then it's I'd see nothing but it's going to get worse from here so you know at some point you have to stop digging don't you and you have to uh, put your head up look around and think how do we get out of this situation because at the minute they're just digging a bigger hole for themselves is is how I read it yeah and 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 Sam I guess that that sort of lends us nicely onto onto David Wagner and, and and some of his comments post game I mean he it was quite interesting actually. He was as Paddy said earlier, very uh, very staunch in his defence of uh, of Stuart Webber, who uh, clearly they've worked together at Huddersfield. They're working together now. Um, we could all make all kind of kind of statements about that. Now, I I, I really I, I like David Wagner as a human being. I, I think the way that he's tried to communicate since he's come through the door as as Norwich City's head coach has been by and large pretty good. I think he's been pretty honest by by all accounts. Um, maybe it was just a clumsy way of framing it and I can't maybe it kind of got lost in translation but and, and you know various reasons for it but the line in terms of you know nobody cares more about this football club than Stuart Webber and I think we all kind of know what he means but mm. at the point where Carrow Road was full again fans have paid money and some of them and, and traveled up to watch their team get beat 5-1 at Middlesbrough or, or put in a pretty abject performance at QPR just doesn't didn't necessarily feel like the right words to say but Coming on to him more broadly, I mean, where where is he in terms of the the criticism? Because he, he didn't get any of it, I would say, at Carrow Road today. Really, there were there were no audible chants directed at him. I mean, how, how do you, Dean Smith was in quite a similar position last season. I mean, it's it, where are you at with with David Wagner? Because I kind of made the arguments. We we did a preview video on on YouTube before. I think you can kind of say, yep, he's had injuries. He's been dealt a really hard and difficult hand, and it's a tough, tough job. And I think we said that when he was appointed. But I think it's also fair to say, well, they've won one in nine. It's a group of players that he should probably be getting more out of. But then Dean Smith didn't. So, mm. where are you, where are you at with with David Wagner at the moment? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm especially happy with David Wagner at the moment. I th- I think as much as I'm I I'm not saying it's time to decide he's not the man to lead the club and Weber was probably right when he arrived to say he's not going to be judged on whether he qualifies for the playoffs or not. There are certainly a number of ways and a number of games you could point to this season that Norwich probably would have done better under a, under a different manager or with different 
a different tactical setup. And I do think David Wagner has got a few things wrong as as Norwich head coach. And um, it's always a bit of a thing, um, not having your own players and not really having windows to bring in players who fit your style. He's obviously only brought in Marquinhos as a, an actual signing. And that was on loan, um, probably from a, a quite limited market and late in the window. But, yeah, I think there are a number of ways and a number of games you could look at um, and say, actually, I, I didn't really know what he was trying to do, especially against the big teams. I think, they just run a lot, don't they? Yeah, well, this is the thing. <laughs> he came in and talked a lot about philosophy and stuff, and I think because he comes from a similar school to Farker and probably had a recognisable philosophy at Huddersfield, at the start there was an assumption that everything he did was a, a very intentional thing. And if you've only seen two games and the same things happen in both of those games, it's quite easy to say, OK, that's the David Wagner philosophy. But looking back now, are there many things that this team has in common with the one that beat Preston and Coventry in his first two league games in charge? I'm not sure there really are. So I'm not sure I could actually highlight what David Wagner's brought into Norwich City, what I can now go to Carrow Road and say I'm definitely going to see from this Norwich team. So in terms of philosophy, which was, for me, a massive point in his appointment and, and probably a huge error in Dean Smith's tenure, was that he lacked that philosophy and he lacked those that ability to clearly put a team out that you know is going to play a certain way. When you bring in Wagner on that point and say he's a manager who we think can fill that void and he doesn't, I think it doesn't look great for for a first few months. So with the wholesale changes that seem to have been, uh, if not promised, at least suggested by the club, then perhaps next season we'll start to see the signs of what David Wagner is. But right now, I'm not sure I really see too many good spells in possession from Norwich. The long balls don't look like they're particularly well planned or a tactical strategy. They look like what the centre-backs do when they run out of ideas or when they're under pressure um, near the touchline. And just the results haven't been good enough. They've played teams where Wagner has had better players than his counterpart and his counterpart has been able to find a way to beat this Norwich team. Um, So as much as I don't think it's necessarily an indicator of where Norwich are going in the future, it's very hard to look at this run of games and say... Wagner's even done better than Dean Smith, to be honest, because Dean Smith, I think, yeah, he left them fifth, but after I think the the results come in, they were eleventh. Now they're they're tenth, aren't they? So they're they're tenth. What three months into Wagner's tenure, and the football isn't really any more attractive. Um, they aren't there aren't too many players who look like they've actually improved long term. I know the fullbacks at the start of his tenure, and probably Kieran Dowell and Ono Hernandez, to be fair, are players that at the start of his tenure we were pointing out had improved. But I'm not sure Aaron's is really the same player currently that he was in those early Wagner games. Your new list, for me, has been on the decline in recent games. Sam McCallum is a player who plays in that position as well and really obviously struggled today with the, the red card and I think he was out of position for actually all of the key incidents that he was on the pitch for in the game. Um what are you really looking at and saying that's what David Wagner's done so far? I like the fact that he's a good communicator and I don't want it to sound like in hindsight we're talking about the whole of Dean Smith's reign, we're talking about 
he needs to be a better communicator. They get in a better communicator and I say communication's fine, but you need to be doing this. But it is true that football fans care most about what happens on the pitch and not really much has changed for me on the pitch. And it feels like Wagner's got a lot of good grace, but rightfully that's probably wearing off at this stage. And he does need to deliver next season for me. And um, it, it might be quite a difficult one because if you don't have that messaging coming out from Weber, and it could be that he does come out and he does all the things that we've said he needs to do and he takes some accountability. But right now, it feels like Wagner needs to be backed by a, a sporting director who says, OK, you might need to give us two years. Or it's not it's not David's fault if we don't get promoted next year because this is the plan, you know, and, and this is how we're going to achieve it. Whereas right now, he's sort of left to fend for himself based on the goals that were set all the way back at the start of the season when under Dean Smith's leadership it was suggested that Norwich really should be promoted with this squad of players. So judging him on that, he's not got close and judging him on more common sense and improvement and how different this team looks to what they did when he arrived, I think it also doesn't look especially good. So I'm certainly willing to give him time and to say that he's got a decent track record at this level and speaks like somebody who can go and achieve something with this football club but we really do need to start seeing some evidence soon because I can understand the fans who are now actually starting to question him um, because the the signs haven't been good in recent weeks and I would like to see at least a few performances at the start of next season that I can say okay this is what Wagner's changed this is what Norwich are going to look like from now on and this is how he's going to improve them. Yeah, I mean, my, my my fear of him is, and I think we said this when he was appointed, his his teams throughout his career really have been quite streaky. And that is also, that, there's a plus point to that. It's not a negative point at all because Huddersfield were quite streaky in the Premier League in the first year and managed to stay up. Um, so as as did his uh, his Dortmund side after, the, after he got them promoted, he, he managed to keep them up as well in, in a higher division, obviously Dortmund too. So different levels, but that streakiness has worked in his favour. He had a very, very good run in charge of Schalke, but obviously you get the flip side of that and you get get these slumps and my fear long term is similarly to Dean Smith Norwich get kind of trapped again where it's kind of you know it gets pulled into a new season the performances maybe don't improve in, in the way that people expect and then you kind of are doing the same thing you're kind of stuck in a little bit of a cycle so and then this is where communication's key right because if it is David Wagner and, and I think we probably all agree that it should be and I think most fans agree that it should be as well there needs to be communicated that that is the case and that is the plan. And, and, and you know, that, that was maybe the issue with Dean Smith, who's kind of left, um, where I, I think we all had sympathy with Dean Smith, who's kind of left to fend for himself during a lot of his, his Norwich ten, tenure and kind of being asked to explain stuff that really wasn't in his remit to do in terms of plans and um, philosophies and stuff like this. Um, when actually, when, when you look at the direction the club did veer in to try and be more pragmatic, he was actually identified to do that. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, just hope that David Wagner doesn't find himself in a, in a similar boat. Last point on this pad, because I feel like we could talk for two hours about the general direction of the club. And that's that's maybe the slightly uncomfortable conversation, really, because Norwich fans are having it. So so we have to speak about it in that when you talk about Stuart Webber, you, you have to speak about Zoe Webber. Right. And, and the fact that on the board of directors is his wife, which, you know, isn't a way that any of us wants to look at it. And obviously uh, in a senior role is her husband. So you can, you can flip that, that, that debate as well. But it, maybe it feeds back to the point of accountability. But I guess it, there's, there's a feeling around that, isn't there? Um, and, and maybe it comes back to the accountability point that we were speaking about. Some fans 
do have an uncomfortableness with that. The fact that there is kind of two married couples, I guess, at the top of Norwich City Football Club running it. And, you know, it, many fa- you know, I'm not necessarily saying it's my opinion, I'm just asking the question and you'll obviously provide the answer. But there is, as I say, an uncomfortableness around the relationships that exist at the top end of the club, even if I think that's unfair, given the, the credentials of, of, of the people involved. Well, I mean, you know, by way of countering that, it, all those individuals you referenced were there... Um, both the I'm promotions. Just the question, yeah, not an opinion. No, but I'm just stating the, the facts of the matter that, that they were also the got quite key movers and shakers um, t- that plotted two, you know, two championship title wins and, and two attempts, poor ones as it turned out at the Premier League. So, you know, this is this is the this is the, the this is the inherent contradiction in, in in this kind of ongoing. Well, it needs to change now. But, uh, Okay, it changes. Who comes in? Who 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 comes in? Who can guarantee that this can this can move forward in a, and that isn't a chart for for keeping the status quo. What what that is is, again, this acknowledgement that we know things are not right. We know things have gone wrong. That's on our watch. We own that, and we we'll, we'll, we will endeavour to put it right. And we have a plan um, to put it right, and and maybe you know, uh, uh, enlighten the fan base what that plan is. What it, does it look like? I think there was no doubt when Weber first Stuart Weber got first in the building. It, how they were going to go about things. Um, it was visible, you know, the transformation at Colney, the transformation in terms of appointing a, an overseas philosophically-based coach and Daniel Farker. That was new, fresh, exciting. Then then the the evolution of the squad and the style of play and, and, and that, that was going to be replicated in the academy sides as well. You know, all of that was was clear and it was obvious and results were tangible on the pitch, off the pitch. Um, we need to see something again. It's almost like they need to go back to... Maybe not the drawing board, but but certainly update the blueprint and 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 show that you know they've amassed all the experiences, good and bad, over these six years, and they've still got, as I say, the energy, the drive, and the hunger to want to go again and and fight against the adversity of maybe not having the finances that they certainly had in the Premier League um, to try and you know produce what they did first time round, which was an against the odds promotion uh, to the Premier League, and then if they if they can get back to the Premier League. Then, then that's the acid test. Really, is can they learn from the last two attempts, uh, and and at least have a, a realistic stab at sustainability? But that's you know that's for the birds. You know, talking about Premier League and the current status is is you know for for the, for a long time into the future. Right now, it's sifting through the wreckage of where we are now and um, and putting it right. And I personally don't have maybe those concerns about you know. Um, you know any fans who look at the the dynamic in play and and is that an inherently a health, a healthy culture um because we've seen that it can bring success so for me it's less about the individuals it's more about as, as i say accepting that it hasn't gone right owning that and let's see what they want or at least how they envisage putting it right and and then if if they if they start to back that up with actions then then i think you'll find you know, the disaffected potentially will be willing to to row back in again, but that feels a long way away. While we're in this kind of holding pattern of of waiting for somebody at the top of that football club to come out and uh, and be scrutinised and um, and accept it's nowhere near good enough and that errors have been made um, and that they're going to put it right. And and we sound like a broken record on here, but I I don't see how 
anything moves forward. If you don't get that, if you don't get that, then what you're left with, you're left with a vortex again, and uh, and they'll shoot back about their, their communication channels. But um, you know that didn't go so well at the end of last season, did it? So you know, if they want to go down that route again, then be prepared for the same sort of criticism. And then, of course, if it's follows by to take your previous point, a, a patchy start again next season, then they'll they'll come for the Webbers, they'll come for Wagner, they'll come for the players, they'll come for the owners if it's still the same ownership mix. All of that is irrefutable. And um, and if there's nothing to fall back on in terms of, oh, but they did come out at the end of last season and, and said, this was going to be different, that's going to be different, we're going to go in this direction, we're going to try and harness this, that, that. If there's nothing of that to stack up against it, then... You know they're not really they're not really giving themselves much of a an insurance policy there, are they? So, as I say, you know. But on your direct point about uh, the Webbers um, and you know the Win Joneses Smiths, then if that's how some fans see it, then that, that's how some fans see it. But I can only repeat, you know, that mix of individuals brought success previously. So you know, isn't that? Uh, uh, a counter to this idea that that's fundamentally where the issue lies. I think it's less the individuals, it's more what they have enacted that hasn't worked and uh, accepting that hasn't worked and then vowing to put it right. Um, Rather than this, um, you know, as I say, infernal purgatory that we're all going through at the minute. I'm just, uh, I'm going to do something which is sort of preempting maybe a counterpoint that may come from people that listen or, or watch if they are on YouTube or perhaps even people uh, in, inside the club as well, given, given what we're speaking about. Um, th- maybe this idea that perhaps, uh, or, or maybe the, the thing that people will level at us, and I know you've reiterated this already when you've kind of said it doesn't need to be through us, but I, I'm already preempting some people saying, oh, well, you know, you couldn't wait for this moment or all of that stuff. I'm just, no, no. I'm just getting ahead of that narrative well, yeah, so, so well, 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 well go back to last week's pod <laughs> you know after Middlesbrough they've been whacked 5-1 and we got into a very big discussion about the future because it, it looked and felt at that stage it's been reaffirmed today that it wasn't going to happen this season so what next and, and we categorically it's there it's on record go and listen to the audio go and watch the video um, both said if Stuart Webber has still got the hunger, the drive, and the energy, he's the right person to take this forward. So, you know, that for me, um, at a stroke, should dismiss anybody who's saying that we have some sort of agenda um, and that we're out to get individuals or the football club. I mean, that's just um, borderline hysteria, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't think we've ever called for anyone to to go, nor would we. Is not is it's not our job, really. It's just for us to to argue about it. I mean, and, all and I will say, Connor, is that um, you know. Whether you choose to believe it or not, what we do for a living in terms of producing content, which we want people to consume in as big a volume as possible, it's considerably easier challenge when things are going well, when that football club are winning games, when they are promoted. You know, I mean, I'm loath to bring them into the mix at the minute, but just have a look over the border and see what's happening in Suffolk at the minute. You know that that is a club that it feels like that they've they've really connected with with a disaffected fan base after years and years of mediocrity, um, and the positive vibes around what they're trying to do. And Norwich have been there in recent times under the Weber uh, regime. Um, and for what we do, trust me, it is far better to be following a successful club and a club that's winning and a club that are striving to do things boldly and vibrantly and differently. Um, as it is for fans. Fans don't want to go and have to sit through, you know, 
a fourth consecutive Carrow game where they don't see their team win or score a goal, and we're the same. So, you know, all I can say is, purely from a commercial, pragmatic point of view in terms of what we do uh, for a living, it, it is far better for Norwich to be winning games than, unfortunately, what we have to sift through at the minute, which is, um, you know, a season which is careered off the rails, basically. So, um, yeah, both both on a commercial, professional point of view, um, as well as a personal point of view, there's absolutely, categorically, no uh, no agenda on our part, uh, or, or certainly... Um, you know, taking any satisfaction from the current state of affairs, far from it. I mean, the opposite couldn't be further from the truth, to be fair. Yep, I'm just getting ahead of a narrative that, no, um, that you know, may well arise from people that watch this or, you know, from, from elsewhere, as as we've said. Sam, I, I wish we could have dedicated more time for, to this, really, but because they deserve more time than, than they're going to get. And, um, you know, we've, we've got various plans and stuff for, for next season. But Norwich City women played at Cow Road for the first time last Sunday in front of 7,500 people. Complete contrast, actually, with, with the type of atmosphere that we've just walked out of yeah. of Carrow Road um, with today. But actually, what, what I was going to say is for, for all of the criticism at the moment that, that the club has get and are getting and, and probably just justly are getting, this is something that they did get right in terms of marketing and in, in terms of the game itself, the occasion. It was really good to be a part of. It was a wonderful... I mean, you, you spoke to, to, to some of the girls and obviously Sean Howells after the game as well. It's been an occasion that they've been waiting for. A bit of positivity was nice as well. So, I mean, yeah, just let's just talk about that a little bit because there is, I guess, positives from this football club at the moment, even when perhaps to many people it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, I don't think they could have done much more to get it to where it was. It feels like they were in a position where it might not be so much in their hands to get people interested. Um, I think that probably happens on the pitch and also in the in wider society and in the wider footballing community as to the growth of the women's game. Yes, they can play their part. But my point is, they allowed as many people as could possibly be interested to be there if they wanted, if you know what I mean. Like, when they're, when they're at the nest, if 3,000 people want to go and watch, they just can't really. Um and I felt they facilitated a scenario that made it as attractive as possible and really created a stage that probably the women's team needed because throughout my um, time as a, a Norwich City fan and now covering the club, until this season, there hadn't really, it hadn't really ever been a consideration where at clubs like um, maybe arsenal for example there there was always as much as it maybe wasn't as well documented as the men's team there was always a consideration of the women's team and i i knew that that was a, a club that had historically done well and, and was talked about and at norwich that wasn't really true until this season and um as as the women's game grows it's not currently as as probably significant and well-known and, and well-supported as the men's team. But for me, it now feels like a real part of the club rather than just something that's sort of semi-attached to Norwich City. And I know part of that is it officially coming under the, the banner of um, it being a, a team within the club. But I also think that's just with how it's been treated. And to be fair, I think the Norwich fans have shown that if you give them the opportunity to support women and to support the women's game, they will. And to see 7,600 people there um, was was really, really encouraging. And as you said, it was a sort of atmosphere that, in contrast to the men's game, made you want to go again. And I actually was there quite looking forward to the next time when it happens, which I believe is, is quite soon um, 
in a cup final. So I'd absolutely encourage as many people as they can to get down to that game. And it feels like they have shown that they deserve another date at Carrow Road after as much time as they had working towards that. Now having had one, having had it go so well, it definitely feels plausible, not even just from a let's grow the women's game point of view. If you've got 7,600 people going to the stadium commercially that's that's pretty that's that's a money spinner really and it can only add to to the club's growth and and financial prosperity and the size of the club if they can add that to to what they do on a regular basis so i think probably people need to apply as much pressure as they can to make this happen on a more regular basis because it was as i said an excellent afternoon it was really vibrant and a really vibrant atmosphere and the game of football that was put on was very entertaining as well so not really an aspect that went wrong for me there it probably went as as well as they possibly could have hoped and for me I really really enjoyed being there probably more than I've enjoyed being at most um, men's games this season and um, I'd suggest it it you know long may it continue and hopefully we're there more often and it gets to the point where that's sort of part of of our coverage being at Carrow Road, watching them and, and reporting on them on a regular basis because I think they've shown now that the market's there. And that's in the fourth division, by the way. You know, with a little bit of investment or maybe more staff, they could skyrocket up the leagues and, and if they can attract 7,600 people to a fourth division match, what could they do in the, you know, I mean, the the championship or, or even to dream the Women's Super League? Um, because it, it, it feels like at a time when the game is growing to this extent... There's the there's the potential there. So yeah, overall really, really pleasing. Really enjoyed it. And I think for the future of that side of the club, definitely bodes well. Yeah, my my favourite uh, moment of, of the day actually was the amount of young girls at the end who were looking in awe at the, the Norwich City players. And I think some of them couldn't believe that. It wasn't long ago they were playing their games at Plantation Park and having to pay for their own travel and their own kit. And the fact they've got to a stage where they've kind of had Carrow Road really and, and had the full treatment that the men's team get is is wonderful. And, and I think they're back in action there um, next month in the County Cup final. If, yeah. uh, if you missed out this time, then you can you can go and watch them there. And obviously, uh, hopefully they... they succeed there pad i'm gonna i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you decide we can either talk about onel hernandez's new contract uh or i can tell you a story about a pigeon so it's up to you well i know what i'd like to say but uh <laughs> in the interest of good man that he is onel let's uh, let's hear the onel on hernandez contract news why don't you just go with the pig- let's hit both connor let's go wild let's have both let's overrun okay. Okay. Oh, okay. I was it better be good now because you talked. It's, it's probably it's probably not to be right. fair. But anyway, I went to I went to uh, pick up my my lad a few days ago, and uh, he um, his mum owns two cats, and one of the cats had bought this massive pigeon, and I'm t- it's the biggest pigeon I've ever seen, and they managed to drag it through, you know, like one of those small square windows, yeah. like you get in a bathroom through there, um, and it was sat in the cupboard, and you know, because I'm I'm an expert with animals, uh, I was uh, I, I said, oh, it's all right, I'll deal with it. So I've gone in, think because when a bird get a pig, it wasn't dead by the way, but it, had, it was in a pretty bad way. It had a wing hanging off, horrible to to see. Really, it's anyone anyone who owns cats, it's Where not nice. But anyway, so so the technique I thought I'd go with, I got a, I got a plastic bag over both hands, and I was I was going to Johnny Houseon esque pick Johnny it Housen pick it up go, pick yeah. it up and kind of take it outside. Um, but as I went to pick it up, it's lit- and, and usually I own cats that you, when when they bring a bird in, they're usually stunned and they don't move. So it's usually quite easy to scoop them up. Um, 
pretty horrible mind but usually pretty easy but this one sprinted um across the hallway so in the end i've had to get a box and almost like trap it with a box almost you know like you do with a spider yeah. um and, and and remove it that way um maybe it wasn't humorous for the bird but it was a humorous experience so um, is the bird no more the, well i don't i don't know we uh, i did kind of contact bird people oh, uh, so so yeah. hopefully i haven't had an update on that's, said bird but hopefully hopefully it's all yeah. right I don't know if it's a metaphor for anyone. Is the only available Norwich City link in this story? Well, I just, there, so. yeah, I just, Can I have that choice back? <laughs> anyway, on El Hernandez's contract, yeah. it's good news, isn't it? Good news for Argos, yeah. No, and good news for Norwich, of course, as well. Yeah, no, um, yeah, I mean, despite uh, what we've had to sift through earlier today and, and in the last hour of this um, really uplifting podcast, it's... Uh, you know he he is somebody who gets Norwich, and he said that in his interview with club interview with Darren Eady after after they pushed out the contract announcement on Friday that you know he he feels it you know he lives it. I mean there was the on his own newly recently launched YouTube channel after the Middlesbrough game where he did a, a bit of a monologue to camera and and you could tell when he's talking about how almost embarrassed he was to be part of what unfolded on T side that that he does he gets it and. Um, and if I guess if you're a fan at the moment and you feel that you're disconnected from the football club, there's a visible symbol of somebody who, who, who you can identify with and you can feel is hurting as much as, you, as your fans are, basically. Um, it's not enough, clearly. It's not enough, but, but it's something to cling on to. And obviously the practical elements of, you know, uh, giving him a two-year deal at his age, just turned 30, hasn't he? Or he is 30, um, option of a third. I mean, you can... You can debate that, but I don't think, particularly with the financial situation, maybe going into this summer, you you would be if if you let him go, and I think in all probability Rashica goes as well, and you're looking at looking at it from a point of view of the squad and equipping the squad with those wide options to have a good go in the championship. I I, I think he can certainly, if you go back to that sample when Wagner was really extracting some assists and some goal threat from him over a consistent basis, probably for the first time in his entire Norwich career. Um, that's got to give you a lot of hope that if he if he can really work with Onel now um, through a, a pre-season and into the next season and he stays clear of injury, that you know you can extract that sample over a much longer period. And if you were to do that, why wouldn't you want that Onel Hernandez version in, in your Norwich team and going into the next championship season? So, you know, on both, both on a personal level and the connection with the fan base, great. But I still think there's a footballer there who, as David said on Friday to a stand at Colney, that can get better, still can get better, still can learn new things, still can improve and add things to his game. And if if that is the case, then for me, that's that could be a good bit of business. Yeah, too, too right. Boys, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Of course, you can get in touch with us. We, we want to hear your views as well. We don't want, just want to be a podcast that is, is speaking at you. We'd like your involvement. So you can get in touch with us across the social media channels, email as well. You uh, you can find all the relevant links online. Pinkin.com, of course, the place for all of the analysis and reaction. Um, I think we've hopefully said all there is to say on, on that. But um, we'll be at West Brom next week. Brilliant. And then obviously we, we have the, um, the the Blackpool game, the Temipuki send-off as it will be now uh, on the final day of the campaign. Enjoy the rest of your week. I don't blame you for trying to forget about football for a little while and we'll see you very, very soon.